Turn with me to the book of Exodus. Uh, we're continuing our series looking at out of Egypt and uh, Exodus chapter 4. So you have a Bible that we provided. It begins on page 41. So you can go ahead and, and turn there. We've been in the midst of this series for a while, and I'm picking up where, where Pastor John left off last uh, week. And we're going to continue this on this series all the way through as we prepare uh, a walk towards Easter. And uh, so I'm excited about having the opportunity to continue uh, diving into to Exodus with you all this morning. I want to ask you this morning, have you ever come to a place where you've walked through life and you have experienced a devastating defeat? Where you just walked through something or you experienced something in such a way that it was so devastating, you felt so defeated that you just didn't know if you could go on. Where you tried your very, very best and it just fell flat and it blew up in your face and, and it was horrible. Well, I've had many, many, many of those experiences in my life and I want to share one of them with you this morning. Back in the day, uh, I used to play football. I was a football player from age eight all the way through my freshman year in high school. And you're like, yeah, right. I really was. I loved playing football. My dad's goal in my life for me was to go be the next Peyton Manning. And uh, that was not the plans that God had, but that was the plan my dad had for my life. And when I was in a freshman in high school, I'd been playing for many, many years. And uh, I was on the freshman team, wasn't good enough to be on varsity or junior varsity. I was on the freshman team. And something strange happened about halfway through that football season. Mono, you guys know what mono is, like ran rampant among the, all of our high school teams. So all of our varsity team, 95% of our high school football team contracted mono and they weren't able to play. So as Friday comes on, Thursday afternoon, the coach makes the decision and says, we're going to call up the freshmen to play varsity for this coming game. And so I'm like, okay, that's great. That's exciting. But I'll never forget the time that our coach was sending us down right before the game. And basically, his, the best cheer he could give us was, like, just don't get killed. Like, that's the best he could do. And I remember being in that game, and we absolutely got creamed. We got beat down. I remember I, I played quarterback for a couple of series. And I remember as soon as I would get underneath the center and the ball would be snapped to me, as soon as the ball touched my hands, I could feel hands from the opposing team pulling my helmet towards the ground. And so it was almost like we couldn't do anything. And we got so badly beaten down that game. I'm just so glad that I didn't die um, and wasn't too badly injured. But you know, sometimes when we get creamed, especially when we get creamed trying to follow God, like sometimes that causes us to be in a place where we question God's goodness, we question God's character, we question God's plan, and all the questions go back to God, not to ourselves, but we question God that there must be something wrong with God. And I want us to see here today, this morning, that there are times in life when we honestly, with our whole being, our whole heart, try to follow God, we will experience devast seemingly devastating defeats. But you know what I learned from that football season? What I learned from that football season and, and that defeat is that the season is not defined by the ups and downs of one regular season game. The victory in the season or the effectiveness of the season is defined by victory in the end. You see what happened later on that football season when our varsity team, everyone got healthy back in the district playoffs. Our team, my team, beat down that other team even more impressively than they beat us down earlier that year. 
So in essence, if you take a look at the whole scope of that season, it was a very, very successful season. Even though I, my part in that season was a part that was full of heartache and pain and trials. Well, this morning, as we continue taking a look at the Exodus and look at the life of Moses and see God's plan as he is delivering his people from slavery, I want us to see where we're going today is chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. We're going to come to the place where Moses feels utterly defeated. He has answered the call to follow God, and he comes to this place after having just beginning to live out this plan for a very short amount of time. He feels defeated, and he says this. He calls out to God and says, God, you have not delivered your people at all. Completely defeated, feeling completely at the end. He feels as though God has left. But I want us to see that that is not the end of the story. Though we're going to get there, there are a lot of things we need to see in, in, in his preparation to get to this point, but I want us to see today, you may be here and you may feel absolutely defeated in life. You may feel that God has abandoned you. You may feel that God has left you. But I want us to see that through the peaks and valleys of life, God does not leave us. Let's pray. Father, We just pray for today. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have been intricately involved in every aspect of each one of our lives from even before we were born, even to today. So Father, today I pray that wherever we're at, that we would hear the words of your truth and that they would be words of correction, that they would be words of encouragement, that they'd be words of joy, that they would be words that our soul so desperately needs to hear today. Would you meet with us? Would you speak to us? Would your word feed us so that we may be more like you? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I wanted to, just for a moment, give you a quick mission review. As we, some of you may not have been here for the series of the Exodus, and so I want to catch you up to speed in a matter of just a few minutes. So we must be reminded of the mission of God. God's mission throughout all space and throughout all time has always been and always will be to make his name great. That's what God's in the, in, the, in the mission of. He wants his name to be made great. That's why he created creation. Why he made creation was for his own glory so that the cosmos would see that God is great, that he is the God of gods, that he is the king of kings, that he is over all, that he's in all, and that he's through all. But part of this process of making his name great, what God does, part of his mission, is to redeem rebellious people and deliver them from their slavery to sin. So not only is God trying to make his name great, but he's redeeming rebellious people, delivering them as slaves to their sin so that these people, his created, we may have fellowship with God and we may worship and serve him alone. That's God's mission. That's God's purpose for our lives. God's purpose for us is he knows that we are slaves to our sin and that we need to be delivered from our sins, but he delivers us from our sins by redeeming us, by buying us back so that we may have fellowship with him and so that we may also worship him. That's God's mission. And the beautiful thing that we've seen about Moses is that God, in carrying out this mission, calls people to come alongside and do that mission and to come alongside him and to fulfill that mission. 
So we see Moses comes in on the scene, and God's people at this time in history, God's people are in ca- captivity. They're slaves to, the, to Pharaoh, who is, oppressing, who is oppressing God's people. And we see that at this time, God's name is at stake. For the world is looking at how God cares for his people. A people that he's calling unto himself now are in slavery underneath a foreign God, underneath a foreign king. And the world must be looking and saying to themselves, God, this is how you care for your people. You allow them to live as slaves. And so God, through the story of the Exodus, is going to, to show the world his greatness. He's going to continue to make his name great. He's going to deliver his people out of slavery, and he's going to call them unto himself. He's going to give them a nation that he's promised, and he's going to, going to continue to fulfill the promises that he's always had. But this morning, I want us to not only see, does God have a mission? Does he, he also call Moses to come alongside in that mission? We who have been redeemed, we who have been delivered from our sins, we who have placed faith in the atoning work of Jesus Christ, we too share in that same mission. God has called each one of us to speak to those that are still enslaved, that they can find deliverance in the Lord. We too ourselves are seeking to worship the Lord more and more with our lives, and we're calling others to come and worship God and God alone. So as we pick up this passage today in verse 18, I want us to see that Moses has come to the place where God has said, this is the mission I have for you. They've had this this discourse where Moses has given him a litany of questions saying, I can't go, why can't I go, I shouldn't go, you can't call me. And finally he comes to the place and says, okay, now I'm going to go. He answers the call, and now we're going to begin looking at the process of sending for his mission. Look with me in verse verse 18 to 20 of chapter 4. So Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who are seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey, and he went back to the land of Egypt, and Moses took the staff of God in his hand. So we see this process of, of sending. What we must be reminded is before Moses can go and continue to carry out the mission that God has given, he must be released from his current responsibilities. He has to be released from his current responsibilities, and we see that he takes time to care for his personal affairs. In verses 18 through 20, we see he has to go back. He goes back to Jethro and gets permission. For at this time, uh, he had to... Um, he was responsible to Jethro for caring for his sheep and, and caring for his, his flocks. And so he had to go and get permission from Jethro. And so we see as he's, he's caring for his curtain responsibilities, he can't go. Um, and we also see that he doesn't just go by himself, but as he's going, he's caring for his family. He's caring for his father-in-law, caring for those responsibilities, and saying, can I be released from these so that I can go? And so he gets released, and he goes, and he cares for his family. He takes them all with him. We must be reminded that if we are on mission with God, there are certain things we must do before we can go, and while we're going, there are certain things we must care for as we're going. The second thing I want us to see in verses uh, 21 through 23 is before Moses can go, I'm sorry, yeah, before Moses can go, he must be reminded of the mission. Verses 21 through 23 says this. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see to it that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, 
Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. So here we see God reminding Moses of his mission, that his specific mission, what he is called to do, his vocation, his part in God's redeeming plan, was to go and declare before Pharaoh to let his people go. God's people were not able to worship the Lord in this way in this time. And so he was to go and to call them out. So Moses is reminded of his mission, and he even realizes, God tells him right here, it's going to be hard. Pharaoh is not going to listen to you. And we're going to talk more about that in just a moment. But we also see before Moses can go, we see this in verses 19 and in 24 and 26. Before Moses can go, he must be delivered from his past. You see, we learned early on in the book of Exodus that once uh, Moses realized and learned who he was, he realized that he was a Hebrew, he was an Israelite. He saw one day some of his Israelite brothers being beaten down, and so he took it upon himself and he killed. He murdered. And so that's not a, a pleasant part of his past we see here in verse 19, God is going to begin to do, deliver him from his past. In verse 19, the men who are seeking your life are now dead. See, God is coming to the place where he's forgiving Moses' past, where Moses took it upon himself to act outside of God's provision. God is now forgiving And what's amazing about this is as he's freeing, God's freeing Moses up so that he can be the true deliverer, we see that Moses has no accusers left. As Moses is going to walk back into Egypt and he's going to lead God's people out of slavery, there's no one there to accuse him of what he did in the past. There's so much freedom in that. I I could go on for hours and hours about being free from our past. There's beauty in following Christ. If you're still here today and you're dealing with sins from the past and you're following God and you haven't allowed God to deliver you from them, that deliverance is there. The next thing we need to see is not only does God deliver us from our past in, in some ways, but he also delivers us from disobedience. Look with me in verse 24 and 26. And this is going to be a passage that I could speak hours on. I'm not going to. I'm going to give it just a couple of minutes. But take some time to think about this. There's so much deep depth inside of here. But there was a part of Moses' past too, another part of his past, that he wasn't completely obedient in. And we see this. So as they're going at a lodging place on the way, the Lord met with him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah, this is Moses' wife, took a flint to cut off her son's foreskin and touch Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me, so let him alone. It was then that she said, A bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. Now, you're like, what does all of that mean? I'm going to break it down really, really quick. In Moses' past, part of being a, a child of God was the commandment that each male child was to be circumcised. The circumcision was a sign not only to God's people, but also to the nations that God had special love and special care for his people. And it was commanded that everyone that was going to be an Israelite or a Hebrew was supposed to be circumcised. And we see that, that Moses in his past had chosen not to fully circumcise his second son. And so God is going to bring about his retribution. He's going to bring about his, his plan because disobedience cannot be seen in the life of one of his true followers. And so 
uh, God shows up this one night and appears to Moses' wife and says, if this is not cared for, he is going to die. Your son is going to die. And one of the things I'm so thankful for, and this is kind of one of those asterisk sidebar things, I'm so blessed and I'm so grateful that it's here in Scripture, the majorly importance of having a spiritually sensitive wife. Like behind every great godly man is an amazingly godly woman. Like you can't have one without the other. And we see here that Zipporah, in some way, God allowed her to be sensitive to what needed to happen in order for Moses to continue to carry out the mission that God had given him. Like I put myself in this place and as Moses, I'm like, God, you give me a mission. I want to carry out the task and I'm so task oriented that I want to just go through the checklist of saying, okay, now I need to do this and now I need to go and get Aaron and then I need to go to the elders and then I'm going to go to Pharaoh and it's going to work out all this way. And sometimes as men, we forget the, the sensitiveness to the spirit and that's why God gives us beautiful, wonderful wives. There've been many times in my own life that Sarah has spoken up and said, you know, you need to think about this. I'm like, whoa, wait a minute, okay. And we see that that's what Sephora does. She goes through and carries out and, and fulfills the disobedience of the past so that the mission can continue. And then we move on to verses 70, 27 and 28. And what I want us to see is that Moses receives the support that God promises. So... God then says to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met with him in the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that he commanded him to do. And so we see, just as God promises, as Moses last week came to the point of just saying, I just can't speak, I can't do it. God says, well, I'm, I'm already sending Aaron your way. He's already going to be there to help you. And so we see that along the way, as we fulfill the mission that God has given each one of us specifically, God gives us support. So that's the preparation. So he gets to the point of getting ready to carry out the mission. And then he begins to carry out the mission from verse 29 to the end of chapter 5. And we're going to get there real quickly. So look with me in verse 29 through 31. He begins this mission, and what we see is immediate success. His first day on the job, there's overwhelming success. So he goes uh, in verse 29. Then Moses and Aaron went to gather together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs... In the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard the Lord had visited the people of Israel. And that he, he had seen their affliction. They bowed their heads. And they worshipped. First day on the job. Moses steps and he gathers the elders of God's people together and says, the Lord has heard your cries. And he has sent me to deliver you. And look at their response. It's the immediate response that we see even today that makes us go, ah, oh, when we think about the work of God. When someone goes from not worshiping the Lord to worshiping the true and living God, God's people rejoice. And so Moses gets that first start. He's like, oh, this is easy. 
man, this life and carrying out this mission of God is amazing. It's so easy. Things are going my way. This is going to be easy. I'm going to walk up to, I'm going to walk up to Pharaoh tomorrow, and I'm going to tell him that God needs to let his people go, and it's going to be cake. God, thank you for stepping in and saving the day. You're amazing. You're awesome. You're wonderful. And it's easy to praise God on the mountaintop, right? Like when things are going your way, things are good. There's money in the bank. The kids are fed. Like, you're good. When things are right there, you're like, God, you're great. And if we stay there, sometimes we forget that God's goodness is still providing, and we start to think that we're making our own goodness. So that's why God also allows us to go through valleys. But I want to read to you the full account of Moses' second day on the job, when he is slammed with the reality of life. Listen with me and read along with me. Afterward, after this great celebration, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens? The same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks, as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves, but the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifices to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men, and they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words." So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily task each day, as when, you were, as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not done all your tasks by making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Then the foremen of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw given to your servants? Yet they say to us, Make bricks, and behold, your servants are beaten. But the fault is in your own people. But he said, You are idle. You are idle. That is why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given, but you shall still deliver the same number of bricks. The foremen out of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble, and when they said, or, and then they said, you shall have no means reduce the number of bricks your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron, who were waiting for them, and as they came out from Pharaoh, and they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and you have put sword in their hands to kill us. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? 
For since I came to Pharaoh to speak your name, he has done evil to this people, and you are not, and you have not delivered your people at all. So the second day on the job, we see Moses experiences what seems like an overwhelming defeat. In the midst of him serving God and living a life of worship, it's easy for Moses, we see, to make the mission of God about himself. It's easy for us in the midst of following God and serving the Lord and seeking to worship the Lord. It's easy for us to make the mission of God about ourselves. See, it's easy for us to become dejected when things in life, we don't find immediate success or these things that we walk through in life don't meet our expectations. But I think it's important for us as we carry out the mission of God, sometimes to stop And look at the mission from God's perspective. You see, the Exodus is this biblical account to show that God is the greatest God, that there is no other God before God. Isaiah chapter 42, verse 8, God says, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. The Lord is passionate about his name. If there's any other that is taking that worship that's due him, the Lord becomes jealous about. And in Egypt, what we see is that Egypt was a place where there were many gods. And the greatest of these many gods was Pharaoh himself. And so Pharaoh, who is a lesser god, I want us to see here what Pharaoh was doing, which made God so angry, which why God is stepping in to deliver his people. God's chosen people, his special children, those that were set aside to worship his great name, are living their lives, breaking their backs, making bricks. Every single day, they're making bricks. That's the passion of their life, is to make bricks. And every single one of these bricks, this Pharaoh, this Egyptian king, is using each one of those bricks to make monuments for his great name. Think about that for a moment. The people of God are living their lives making bricks so that the name of this foreign, lesser God can have his name be famed throughout all of the world. Like God cares about his name. When God sees his name being defamed, he understands that he steps in and he saves the day in his time and his way. So Pharaoh, hearing that the Israelites wanted to go back, Pharaoh responds by saying, I don't know this God. I don't know this one that you're speaking of. I know a lot of gods. I am a God myself. But I don't know this God that you're speaking of. So why should I bow to him? Why should I obey his commands or his requests? And what we see beginning to carry out is this epic battle. Moses, when he stands before the Pharaoh, is declaring war. But it's not the war that Pharaoh is fighting, or that Moses is fighting against Pharaoh. It's the God of the universe fighting against the Egyptian gods. And what we need to see here today is that there there cannot be true deliverance until all these lesser gods are utterly defeated. 
There can be no true deliverance and freedom to worship until all competing gods are defeated. Either Moses' God is going to win or Pharaoh's God is going to win. And they have to be utterly destroyed in order for true freedom and deliverance to take place. So as we see Moses here, his feelings are very valid. He can feel this way because he feels this way because it's the perspective that he's coming from. But he does not yet see the bigger picture. He does not see that God is going to win. He does not see that God is completely in control. That even in this passage, we see that God is in control even of Pharaoh's heart. Now, we don't have time this morning to talk about how God hardens and softens the hearts of men. We're going to get there. But just see this control that God has over his created. And Moses here is in a place where he either has to listen to the voice of the people or listen to the voice of God. God had already told him, you're going to go and Pharaoh is not going to do it. So why are you expecting it to be any better? But he hears the rumblings of the people. And the people are saying, oh, why did you do this, Moses? Moses, you're worthless. And so sometimes we, as, as people that carry out the mission of God, we allow those that we serve to speak into our own identity instead of allowing God to speak about our identity. So today, are you listening to the voice of God? Are you listening to the voice of other people? For the voice of God says, follow me and I will be with you. I am the definer of what is successful. And you can know that you are successful if in the end you surrender to me and you obey me. This morning, have you been delivered? If you haven't been delivered, if you're here today and you're walking through life and life is just coming at you with a bunch of questions that you don't have the answer to, you thought you had it all figured out, but something in your heart or in your spirit where God has been working, you're starting to look for answers. I want you to see this morning that there are answers. Everything in the Old Testament points towards the New Testament. It points towards a person. It points towards God himself who becomes flesh in the form of Jesus Christ who goes to live a perfect life and to die on a cross to pay the penalty for our sin. The reason that you're beginning to ask questions in your life right now, or you're beginning to look and say, hey, why is, are all the things falling apart in my life? Is because they're there to point you to Jesus Christ. For Jesus Christ is the one that can deliver you from your sin. He can free you from the slavery of living your life. And he can bring you back into a relationship and fellowship with God. So if you're here today, I want to encourage you to consider Christ. Consider Christ as the one that can take your sins and deliver you from them. My second question, and I've got a total of three questions. My second question is, is with your hands, what are you making? With your life, what's the product of your life? Are you making monuments to men? Or are you allowing your life to be a masterpiece that is in the hands of the Almighty? And then lastly, who are you currently speaking words of deliverance to? Are there family members in your life that are enduring difficult times that you're able to speak into their lives this wonderful message of hope of Jesus Christ? And are you being obedient in that? I want to encourage you 
this morning to let us be people that respond to the word of God and the mission that he asks us to come alongside with reminding that even with the ups and downs of life, in the end, God wins. In the end, we will be seated with him in heaven and we will unhinderedly worship him forever. And we have now been called to the point and place of sharing that hope with others. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for loving us and thank you for this time we've had to be in your word. And Father, I pray that you continue to allow the truth of your word to resonate in our lives and in our hearts. Prompt us to respond however you see fit. If we're here today and we know we don't know you, Father, I pray that you call people unto salvation. Or Father, for those that are here today that feel devastated, that feel defeated, Father, I pray that you would allow them to see the daily struggles may be hard and we may find daily defeats, but in the end, you win. So help us to trust in you. Help us to be obedient in you. And may your name be made famous through our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.